it's an honor and privilege, Pastor Chip and his family have been a blessing to us over the years, and you know, not just um, in word, but also in deed, and supported our church over in Ireland, and uh, some mostly even just by coming and encouraging us, and even when the world stopped with COVID, we've continued, and just having him on some of our online meetings, and um, it's one of uh, our favorite and favorite uh, speakers on what we call faith school, uh, because in this world and day and age, the just must live by faith, as the Word of God says, and you know, that's just been an encouragement, and glad to be here with my wife, Sibo. It's the first time here in Dayton, and we're just so honored that the Lord has allowed us to be here. Um, and so we'll just pray, and I'll share what the Lord has put on my heart. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you order our steps, and you have allowed this great privilege to be at this place, at this time, in this day. So we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit right here, and we just thank you for all that are gathered and all that will watch. We thank you for technology. We thank you that, Lord, we can, anywhere and everywhere we go, we can still be home. So I thank you for the privilege of being here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was hearing a lot about what Tennessee is about, that, you know, we're all about our security out here. You can get a gun anywhere. I'm looking for one. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in Ireland, only the police are allowed to have guns. Um, but one of the things that in the world where we are living, I think security has become a great thing for most people uh, around the world because there's a lot of uh, stealing or uh, a lot of uncertainty in very many things. And uh, as a pastor over the years, and Pastor Chip, as I said, is one of the people I always turn to when we face any kind of difficult and need big brotherly advice situations and he, 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 he would um, give advice but there's a lot in the body of Christ, the Lord just put this on my heart that we, we, we need to be getting to that place where we are living at the level of where God wants us to live you know years may go by, time moves and Many Christians, the Bible calls us to live the abundant life. And that's not just necessarily in terms of prosperity of material things, but it's in every area of our lives. And you can kind of then see the footmarks uh, as a pastor uh, or as people uh, doing the work of God of a lot of the body of Christ living below the standard of what God wants. Mainly, mainly sometimes because, you know, somebody or situations have happened and more so we know who our real enemy is. The devil, Jesus speaking, says he came to give an abundant life. John 10.10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it, it to its fullest. But the thief comes only to steal, 
kill and destroy. And the, the thief, the enemy, has planted his seed in many things. Some have had stolen purposes where he's stolen the purpose of why we, even, we, we, we end up even forgetting why do we even do church? Why do we even believe in the first place? Because if we lose our purpose, we lose the meaning of why we do things. The enemy has come in and I'm glad this church does healing school and stolen the health of people. You know, their health is gone. Yet God's word promises us a life of healing and restored or restoration in good health. Some have lost resources. They're in debt. So many in the body of Christ and most importantly, most have lost even their identity about who they are. And so if we forget who we are in Christ, you know, we can definitely live below the standard, the measure of the stature of what Christ is calling us to do. And so in all that, we, we get to that point where there's people that live life and say it's probably better to die. Maybe we want to go to heaven already. You know, yet God is saying, I still have work for you to do. I still have a reason and a purpose of why we are here. I mean, we, we, the laws in the world are changing and some people are even choosing, I'd rather die than still be alive. And so they have had the enemy steal the very purpose or destroy the very sense of who they are in Christ. And in 1 Samuel, um, verse, uh, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 30, there's a story of um, David uh, of a stolen robbed because the enemy would always come at a time when we're not ready and um, you know if we were to know the day the thief is coming we'd be very prepared for it and so the the, the story there in 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 first samuel chapter 30 from verse 1 tells us this story when david and his men reached ziklag Three days later, they discovered the Amalekites had raided the desert hill country. They had attacked Ziklag in David's absence, burnt it, and carried away the women and all the other inhabitants whom David had left behind. None of them were killed, but they were taken captive and carried back towards Amalek. So there's a story or and I believe, and I want us to be encouraged in this because there's certain things that happened there that I would want us to then concentrate on. Yes, maybe you've lost your vision, you've lost your relationships, your peace, your health, your, your, your prosperity. The enemy has come in and surprised you, unexpected, and you don't know what to do. And this is the situation that David finds himself. The Bible goes on to say there that when he discovered that, so the, David and his men arrived in the burnt city and they found their wives, daughters, sons gone, taken captive by the Amalekite raiders. A sense of surprise, destruction, 
gone. And, you know, if we don't live by faith, the tendency is to ask, why did you allow this God? And most people have ended up blaming God for any such misfortune. And we learn there in verse 3 that, and when they saw this, they cried out and wept aloud until they could weep no more. So this is deep, painful, unexpected. And maybe we've had situations that have caused us that kind of pain. The Bible says there that they cried so deeply and could not cry anymore. That's, that's crying. That's weeping. That's really heart-wrenched pain coming out. And, you know, in such situations, we want somebody to point to. And the biggest lie that the devil has on many believers, sadly, is we end up either turning our fingers against, pointing our fingers to God, that it is his fault, or we do what these guys did, the rest of the men, it says in verse 4, and when they saw this, they cried out and wept aloud until they could. Verse 5, David's wife, Iohim of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, were among those carried off. Verse 6 is what I want. David too was in anguish. So this did not spare the king or the leader. He was, he was not yet king there. He, you know, he, he was appointed, he, he was anointed but not yet appointed. Amen. And so sometimes we think, God, but you've anointed us. So th there's things that can happen to us in our lives. The anointing on us is not what spares us. And so David was anointed, but not appointed. And so we may be anointed and things happen, but there's an attitude I want us to see, the beatitude or the attitude of what David has and it says there some of his men talked about stoning him. They're in the same predicament. David himself is also very much in anguish, and they start turning on each other. And when we forget why God gathered us as a fellowship or as a church, sometimes we turn against each other and, and end up you know, at each other, because that's the enemy's plan, to scatter the sheep, strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And, 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 and many times it would seem, as what happened here, that they decided if David is holding it together, let's stone him. We, we, we were out on the mission that he led us to do, and this has happened to our families. If I'd been here, I suppose that's the blame game that they had, if I had been at the side of my own family, they would not have gone. And, and so they had decided to actually say, look, we'll, we need to stone him. Somebody has to die for this. You know, <laughs> if, it's not, if, it's not, if, if, if it's not me, I'd rather kill David himself. And so they start turning against. But I love what verse 6 then says, but David took comfort in the eternal one, his true God. Or David encouraged himself in the Lord. Um, and that's 
one of the first signs in us recovering anything that the enemy has stolen from us. We've got to stay in God's Word. We've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And when you read some of the Psalms that David wrote, Psalms 23, a common one, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That does not mean that everything good is happening to him. But when we know who your shepherd is, encouraging yourself in the Lord means you get back to God's word. You get back to it not just as written scripture. You know, there's Greek words of that word, graphe, uh, which most Christians end up on the graphe word, which is the written word of God. But we don't take it to become the logos, the, the anointed word of God. And then more still, take it to be our rema word, our, the word for you applied to your situation. Find God's word for your situations. You found the solution for encouraging you to stand on that word. And that's what David did. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse 4 of, chapter, of Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, people were about to stone him. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The closest people to you are about to take you out because something has happened to them whilst you are leading them on the purposes of God. And yet he encourages himself in the Lord. And so he would say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Or is it Psalms 27 that he then writes again after he's gone, he's, he's in a troubled place. Verse 2 of Psalms 27, encouraging himself in the Lord. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So how would David be getting out of difficult situations? It says there, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. He focused on who is the real enemy. Who is the one that I must turn to? Verse 4 of Psalms 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, and this was a day of trouble, in the, you come back, Everything, everyone you care about is taken away, gone. And say, people are talking, let's take him out. It's David's fault. He took too long fighting his battles, getting the battles that the Lord has set them out to do. And so they want to take him out. One more psalm of David encouraging himself in the Lord. That's why I'm saying we need to get to that place where we encourage ourselves back in the Lord. Psalms, um, we, we can look at Psalm 73. Interesting psalm again. Maybe take it up from verse 12, um, verse 11. 
uh, verse 10, Therefore his people returned hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They may increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. It would seem that the evil ones have prospered and David is left in this place of no man's land seeking after God. But instead of running away from God in the moment of trouble, he's drawing near to the Lord. Hallelujah. He's coming closer to God, seeking his face. And when you come and draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to you. And so he's encouraged in the midst of a discouraging situation. And we can go back quickly to, uh, to, to, to 1 Samuel again. Because it then says in verse 7, after he's encouraged in the Lord, he calls for the priest, Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, and instructed him to bring the priestly vest, which he did. So how are we recovering? How can we recover even in the midst of trouble, pain, sorrow, or situations that the enemy has come against us? There's a promise. When the enemy rises against us as a flood, the Lord will raise a standard against him. And David calls for the priest, ask him to bring the, the priestly robe or the ephod. Uh, and says, verse 8, he then seeks the Lord. Prayer becomes so important. The last thing most people in a troubled situation want to do is to pray. But to recover, you've got to seek God. What is prayer? It's, it, it's, it's heavenly license to intervene on earth. You know, without man, I think it was uh, uh, Charles Wesley who wrote these words, uh, John Wesley who wrote the words that without man, God will not. Not that he cannot, but he will not intervene because he's given us the authority over everything, the birds of the sea, everything on earth. And so he says there that for, uh, for God to intervene, man has to give the license in Jesus' name, I pray about this. And that opens all of heaven to act on our behalf. But what we do in the natural is when we are faced with hard times or situations that the enemy has come against us, we don't pray. But David goes back to the priest of his day. Says, let's put on the priestly garment. Let's seek God for the direction. For you to recover from painful situations or recover everything the devil has stolen from you. You've got to get back to that point of praying and asking God. Even as the enemy comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But when you go back in prayer you release 
God's presence in the situation. You, you show the Lord that, which is what prayer is about, that God, I can't do it without you. And we open the doors for God to move in our situation. When we don't pray, the enemy has a field day. And so David seeks for direction from God by talking to God, not by running to God, by being angry with God or blaming God, but by actually coming back to that place of saying, God, should I pursue? Should I go? These raiders, can we catch them? And God answers and says, go after them, you will catch them, and you will certainly rescue your families. So that word becomes his word for that situation. And the Bible says, they set out, and as they went, verse 9 and 10, they came to Wadi Besor Dry Creek, and where he left behind 200 men were too exhausted to continue the pursuit. And in the open country beyond, some of his soldiers found an Egyptian. They took him to David, fed him, gave him water. They gave him some fig cake and two clusters of raisins. After the men had eaten, he regained his strength, and he had not had food or water for three days and nights. You know, God always says and does some certain things. We are asking him for something, and I've learned this in my own life, that many times we want God to do for us, but something for us. But God then brings someone for us to minister to someone in the process of getting our own recovery. And, and, and that's the order of God. They meet an Egyptian who just happened to be in the place and they didn't know where these people had gone. But somehow in helping, feeding, giving him water to drink, he becomes the answer and solution to their problem. You know, it's kind of like the, the good Samaritan that, you know, it's many keep busy with, I've got my own problem. And that's the world, the selfish world that we are living in, where everyone kind of gets to that point where I've got, we're each of us carrying our own burdens. You know? The Bible never says carry your own burdens, it says cast them to the Lord. And as you cast them to the Lord, it also means you're helping also those that have burdens that they need cast. And that's why we have the revelation that we have. And so as they are pursuing the enemy that is stolen from them, that has kidnapped their families, they find somebody who's in need. Perhaps your answer is in that person that is in need. <laughs> because had they passed this Egyptian who, as we read scripture, happened to be a slave, abandoned by an Amalek master, left hungry to die, but they help him. As the church, we must open our eyes to the need around us. And as we find and become the solution to somebody else's need, in that process, God starts to meet our own need. If they had selfishly left this Egyptian or allowed 
their own problem or issue to overlook somebody on the roadside hungry, thirsty, and abandon them, they would not have got the information that they need to actually recover. Because this Egyptian could tell them where, who, and lead them on the way. And so we must be encouraged, no matter what we are going through, what the enemy has done, to still complete the mission of what the Lord says, especially for those that may be in need. And as they do that, after the man had eaten, he regained his strength. He had not had food or water for three days and nights. Sounds familiar, three days and nights, hallelujah. And just right there, you know, giving all God ever wants is for us to give what we have. What is it that we have? And as we do that for others, he's opening a bigger door for us to recover everything that the enemy has had. And David asked him, who are your people? Where are you from? And the Egyptian young man saying, I'm a young man from Egypt who served an Amalekite, but my master left me behind three days ago because I was sick. We had gone raiding in the desert country against the Cherotites, the territories of Judah and Caleb, and we burned down the town of Ziklag. You know, they could have just killed this guy right there. You are part of the guys that did that, but they don't do that. They help him, they feed him. And he says, can you lead me to this raiding party? I will take you to them if you will swear to me by the true God that you won't kill me or give me back to my master. So he led David and the Amalekites were spread out all over the place, eating and drinking and dancing because they had taken such great spoils in their raids against Philistia and Judah. David fought the, against them from one twilight whole day to the next day and he killed all of them except for the 400 young men that escaped and I love verse 18 so David recovered everything that had been taken including his two wives nothing was missing from the smallest thing to the greatest treasure none of the sons or daughters no property of any kind David brought everything home. David also captured. That's what I love about God. He will give the promise of the word of God. is God wants to restore everything the enemy has stolen from us and more. Hallelujah. That's the promise. And more. Exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. What we can ask or imagine, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that our God is able to do that. So, whenever we feel a sense of being robbed, taken advantage of by the enemy, there's that process that God still wants you to recover everything the enemy has stolen and more. And if we would. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep working for the Lord. Helping somebody else who's probably worse than you. And as we do that, 
as unto the Lord. He's promised that he will restore finances, relationships. God is a God of restoration. Amen. And, and, and the church needs to desire, I believe, that we need to get to that point where we do not settle for less. Amen. They, they could have just gone weak and given up and just continued to mourn, camped into their situation. But I love it that when he sought the Lord, God says, go. You've got to go to the path of recovery in any area. And that path is get back to God's word. Help those along the way that may be worse than you. Keep seeking God. And we are surely promised that not only will we recover, but God gave them more because they ended up taking possession of other things that the Amalekites had, um, had actually raided elsewhere. And so that's the kind of God we, we serve. He's a God of restoration. He's a God who desires for us to know that victory belongs to him. Amen. The victory that we seek in life, victorious over situations, circumstances, spirits and powers of darkness, comes from the Lord. And when he gives it to us, it's for us to liberate others in the process. God bless you. Hallelujah. I'll just pray. Father, we just thank you that you're a God of restoration, a God who gives us victory into victory. And Lord, though we may face challenges in different areas, you want to be our security. You are the one who wants to restore your people, your church, to that place where no matter what the enemy comes against us, we are in a place where you can restore everything. And so right now, I pray for restoration in health, in for peace to be restored in any situations and circumstances. Lord, we pray for restoration of everywhere where the enemy has planted his seed. That, Lord, the battle is not ours, but it is yours. And so we speak your your, your, your power and your hand upon your people to be encouraged to go forward and take back everything that the enemy has stolen. The neighborhoods that have had the enemy destroy and influence, you are calling the church to go back in there, to move in faith and recover everything in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, praise God. You know, the uh, story with David, that's, uh, um, I've always been a big fan of David. You know, especially early on in his relationship with the Lord, he had such a good heart with the Lord. And um, going to the Lord, you know, this situation, um, he wasn't doing anything wrong. And they went out to battle and they came back and all everything was stolen. And everybody turned on him. And, and <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a shame, you know. But 
But you know, he didn't he didn't get bitter. He didn't fight him. He didn't say, "Let's step outside and, and address this outside, boys." Uh, he, the Bible says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen. Uh, and uh, there have been times and seasons I know of my life when, when you look around, and, you know, where 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 are all your friends, right? Where are all the people that that were there yesterday with you, you know, and then they're not here today, and and in fact they turned on them. All these folks turned on them. And there are times and seasons in all of our lives when, you know, I don't, I don't think it's really true that we're by ourselves, but sometimes we feel that way. And, uh, but we can learn from David's example and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. Uh, and, so, and so David was able to do that. You know, he was able to encourage himself in that. And, um, uh, and that's a good story, uh, one of the best stories that I like about David there. And, um, uh, you know, the Bible does talk about bearing one another's burdens and... Um, you know, we're supposed to cast our cares upon the Lord. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you need help even in doing that, you know. And, and so the Lord's called us to help each other. Sometimes we don't know how to cast those cares upon the Lord. And we need to, we need uh, some help in doing that, you know. The Lord's never designed us to carry big, heavy burdens, you know. He said, of course, we know in Matthew 11, uh, 29, 30, because we mentioned that a lot around here, that he said that his yoke is easy and his burden is what? Is light. So if you're... Uh, so the burden there in Matthew 11 is your responsibilities. You know, we all have things that we're required to do that the Lord's asked us to do. Whatever it is in our life that we're called to do, whether it's to pray or read or study or, or help or to assist, you know, whatever it is that the Lord wants us to do, those are responsibilities, and they're not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not uh, more than we can handle. Uh, they're, they're sufficient. But then, you know, sometimes we take on uh, things that we don't need to take on, you know, the, the worries and the cares of the church the worries and cares of a life. Uh, and those are the things we're supposed to cast off of ourselves. Um, and we should never be leading a life of, of uh, uh, drudgery in the church. You know, we should never be, you know, bent over with the weights of the world and weights of the church and, and, and declare things. It's so hard being a Christian. It's so hard serving God. Uh, it's the easiest thing in the world to serve God, right? The easiest thing in the world. If his, if his word is so, right, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? Uh, but uh, in order to do that, you know, David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Amen. He wasn't getting any help. Nobody was helping him. Uh, and if it wasn't for him doing that, uh, encouraging him himself, he then led 600 people to go and recover all of his stuff. And so he was able to lead them, and then they were able to, everybody was able to recover all of their stuff, including their spouses, their wives, and their children, and their material goods, plus, uh, as Pastor Gerard said, all the other things that uh, they were able to get in addition to uh, what they had uh, been stolen from them. Uh, and none of that would have happened if David hadn't encouraged himself in the Lord. If he had just said, well, boys, you know, sometimes you win some, you lose some, right? And even in our charismatic circles, we hear that sometimes. Well, you win some, you lose some, right? Well, you never know when you're going to die, right? Uh, you know, you just, oh, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Uh, I thought he gave us 66 books to tell us what he's going to do. And then he filled us with his spirit, right? Uh, and so, uh, but that's just a that's just a great story, and uh, it's one of the stories that I go back to even on a, on a regular basis and just read about how how did David deal with these conflicts? How did David deal with these difficult situations that he came against? You know, this is in the season when Saul was still trying to kill him, right? David wasn't king. Uh, it's near the end of it, right? Because it's First Samuel thirty, so it's really at the end of Saul's life, and it wasn't long after this that Saul's life came to an end. Uh, but uh, even uh, even at this very end, they still turned on David. You know, and these are people that David had fought with. You know, went to battle with, and 
and they still turned on him. And, and um, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, David didn't, didn't hold any bitterness towards them. He wasn't an, un, any unforgiveness. He didn't quit because of, of their lack of support. He encouraged himself in the Lord and moved on. Amen. Uh, and so it's just, you know, and, and David's not even, he's not even born again. You know, he doesn't have the spirit of God on the inside of him. Uh, but he had such a great heart. I always loved David's heart, you know. Uh, and we can learn a lot from them. And he kept a good attitude throughout and, and got complete and total victory and was a great example to uh, to the people uh, around him and to even his own family that had recovered them from, from being uh, kidnapped there, right? So praise God. Well, Pastor Gerard, it's, uh, it sure is good to see you, right? Uh, we're going to spend a little more time with him uh, after the service here. And, um, and then he'll get shipped off back to Dublin here in a couple of days, right? And so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually, if we're going to balance things out, you know, I've been to Dublin a lot more times than he's been to Dayton. So, you know, uh, you know, not that we're keeping score or anything, but I'm way ahead. So, uh, but, um, uh, but and, and I didn't tell you this, you know, the, the reason why we know each other is um, way back, uh, you know, my pastor passed away in 2007. And, of course, we met in 2010, but before my pastor passed away, in the early 2000s, he was over in Dublin with Pastor Gerard at your church, right? And he went over there a couple of times. Uh, and uh, the stories are legendary, you know, that, that uh, were going on. You know, my, my pastor was not one to be, uh, uh, he was never a wallflower. And um, he'd get right in the midst, midst of things and a lot of confusion, right, going on. And one of the famous lines from my pastor with that story is there. Yeah, and, um, and, of course, then he passed in 2007. And, and a few years later, uh, a mutual acquaintance uh, got us connected, and uh, we've been we've been buddies ever since then. So, uh, but we like to tell the stories of of my pastor, and and uh, he got to know him, be good friends with him over the years before he went home to be with the Lord. And I and I never met you, I don't guess, but you were you were actually in Zimbabwe in Harare in 1997, right? So, first time we went to Africa, I went with my pastor, and they, they had a big uh, national conference there, and uh, like 20,000 people or something like that, right? And um, um, I stood out in the crowd, but Pastor Gerard did not, right? Because, you know, it was 20,000 people from Zimbabwe. And so, I, you know, I was like a shining uh, city on the hill there. Uh, but, um, uh, but my pastor uh, ministered there, that conference. And uh, a lot of drama ensued there, that conference, too, because of some of the things that he preached on were all correct. But some of the other ministers weren't really happy about uh, that because sometimes uh, one, of, one of the uh, anointings that, my pastor had was to kick over golden calves and uh, he he kicked over a lot of golden calves over the years you know some people don't mind their golden calf getting kicked over some people get really upset you know <laughs> and so if the lord told him to kick over a golden calf he just kicked it over right and so uh so that's uh, so and so he was there i was there but we didn't meet each other then uh well we say we didn't you know we might have because were you at any of the meals at uh, pastor titus's house so yeah, so we were there at the meals. We probably ate a chicken leg together, you know. Who knows? And uh, but um, uh, but I thank God for for bringing people together, and, and He brought us together, and, and we've been uh, fast friends ever since then. And just it's just nice to we can have uh, fellowship around the Word, or just fellowship around, just enjoying each other's company, and um, it's just nice to to know you know somebody from completely different culture around the other side of the world, and we're just just uh, our hearts are knit, you know, and so. Uh, it's it's nice to uh, to know that you can go anywhere in the world, and if somebody loves God, you know you can be friends with them. Amen. Uh, praise God. Well, 
let's uh, we'll close a little early tonight. Just uh, you know, we could add more to it, but uh, I thought it was a great message, and and I'd encourage you just you know follow that example of David. Amen. Uh, and um, let's get ready and receive this evening's offering, and then um, and then we'll close out the service. And so uh, don't forget, it is November, right? So um, it's uh, uh, we've got uh, uh, well we got some birthdays, right? So Paige. Uh, who's on the second? Uh, Stanley's on the second, right? On the second, yeah. And actually, today is uh, Anne Marie, my oldest daughter's, uh, her anniversary is today. So she's been married three years today. Uh, and so, um, uh, and um, and there was one other one, right? So it was it was Eve. Uh, yeah, it's right here. Uh, and um, let's see, it was Stanley Pay and Miss Sandra. Yeah, Miss Sandra's on the twentieth. Uh, and so. Happy birthday to all them. So come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. We just thank the Lord for his goodness and kindness. Amen. Uh, and um, like I said, they're headed back to uh, Dublin on Friday. And um, they got to go up to Gatlinburg. They've been in Gatlinburg and seeing bears, right? And so uh, you don't see any bears in Dublin? There's no bears in Dublin? <laughs> uh, and so... Um, and lots of big vehicles, right? So you go over Europe, you know, all the cars can fit like inside of all of my cars, right? Uh, and so um, if they, you know, get turned, you just pick them up, move them, up, move them around, right? And so uh, all these big giant vehicles over here in America. So um, it's always, I enjoy going to other places because you get to see the culture, you know, how people think and live. And, you know, that's kind of interesting. You know, it's uh, it's not bad or good. Just It just is, right? You see different cultures and and they got to see the bear culture of uh, East Tennessee. So, <laughs> so, uh, but before you go, uh, come up and greet uh, uh, Pastor Gerard and his wife Sibo. Uh, and uh, yes, ma'am. Fall back, right? Yeah, fall back on Saturday night, right? So uh, now Europe falls back, but they are, they have already fallen back. They fell back last week, so they're a week ahead of us. So, um, so that's why uh, today. Uh, we're only four hours difference from uh, Dublin, Ireland. Normally, we're five hours difference. So, but on Sunday, we'll be back to five hours difference. So, all right. Praise God. We'll have a wonderful evening. You're dismissed.